Hello and welcome to Bellhaven Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Weber. On today's episode, you'll be listening to PSY 342, Psychology of the Exceptional Child. I hope you listen and enjoy. All right, guys, we're now on class four, and this is session four. All right, so we've been talking about what is um, an emotional or behavioral disorder, and what are we kind of looking for. So we're going to walk through some of these characteristics that we're going to see. Um, There are learning characteristics. Remember in our definition federally, it says that this disorder affects in an adverse way. Um, a child's performance in school. And so you're going to start to see a lot of those same characteristics that you would see if a child has a learning disability. Um, as a matter of fact, it's kind of that chicken and the egg problem. You've got to figure it out. Did the behavior problem cause the child not to be able to learn or did the learning disability problem come first and then they began to act out? Because uh, a lot of times by the time you walk in as a school psychologist, you've got both of these things happening at the same time. So we really want to kind of, you know, narrow that down. But definitely there are problems with their learning. And again, it can be any of those seven areas that we typically see with LD. Um, some of the other characteristics for the problems is because they have such issues, you see a lot of school failure. They're going to just you know, if this is if they're non-diagnosed, you know, they're going to fail for that year. And then, you know, we come back and repeat. Um, we usually see a lot of absenteeism, particularly if this is a family with a lot of abuse problems, neglect problems, or just not getting their kids to school. Or if a child has, her child has been abused and has marks, they're not going to let their child go so that somebody will see that. And remember that if you do notice that, it is against the law not to report it. Um, we mentioned grade retention because they failed. And then eventually, if that happens enough, we frequently see a dropping out of school as soon as they're old enough to do that. And obviously, this then sets them up for a bad lifestyle of, you know, jobs where they don't make good money. So it really can be a long-term problem that we want to try to, you know, work on this early. All right, when we come to social characteristics, there's actually a good number of things that fit into this. Um, we mentioned some of them already. Um, they have a hard time with relationships with peers and others, um, particularly if they've got that um, aggressive kind of behavior um, or any kind of externalizing problems. Um, either externalizing or internalizing um individuals with that can have rejection from others these are very much unlike children Um, people don't want to be friends with the the bully they um you know really are very uncomfortable with them the children who are having internalizing problems um we don't really want to be friends with them either so these are children who just really struggle um, with being liked and developing those relationships. And so they're very isolated a lot of times. And that, you know, is very difficult for them. It causes even more issues that they would be dealing with. All right, when it comes to communication and language issues, in some ways they communicate only too well, only it is with inappropriate types of language. And frequently you'll see them know lots of words that maybe they should not know. All right, they do show deficits in pragmatics, and pragmatics is what is appropriate when it comes to language. And so they may be 
um, doing a lot of inappropriate things, saying things that, you know, they shouldn't say at a particular time. They may call their teacher by their first name when they know that's really not okay. Um, use loud language, the outside voice type thing in, a, in an inside setting. So anything like that. Um, some of them really do have some limited language and they just don't know very many words and they may not process very well. When it comes to the psychological and behavioral characteristics, we're going to see some issues here. So when it comes to intelligence and achievement, um, we're almost always below average um, in terms of tested IQ. Um, usually there's a score of less than 90, particularly with our externalizing uh, category. Um, some of this, again, is just a reflection of the fact that they have not been focused on learning. Doesn't necessarily mean that had they been able to focus and process information, that might not come up. But they just really haven't learned the things that they should have learned. So they're testing um, a little bit below level. Um, they're achieving below level, obviously, too. All right, when we look at the social and emotional characteristics, um, we're definitely going to see a big impact here because remember that's kind of our overarching category that we're talking about as emotional and behavioral problems and it does affect um, their social characteristics so if they're externalizing they're acting out um, against other people and there's a lot of aggressive kinds of behavior um, yelling things like that and that's that externalizing category where you've just got a, a really angry individual all right who's kind of against the world and they feel like the world's against them and they're going to attack first all right if it's internalizing you're going to see a lot more withdrawn behavior remember they've pulled in against the world some of this looks very immature like a child who is many years younger um, like the crying kind of stuff. You, you wouldn't expect an older person to do that. Um, oftentimes there's depression that you're going to be able um, to see the characteristics of depression that goes with that internalizing category. All right, so this is just looking, sort of showing you with the IQ. As we mentioned, it's they're testing below normal. Usually their peak is around 90. And if you remember from our um, intellectual disability discussion, we said our normal average is at 100. So that green line there is your actual normal curve with the peak, the top point at 100. And it sort of goes out into the levels that um, they take it down to about 10 and then they take it up to about 160, which by the way is quite rare and so is 10. Um, you can see the red line, which is again a hypothetically drawn curve. It's, you know, it's not an actual data curve, but if we put a lot of data together, it would look like this. Um, and what we're seeing is that the peak shifts down about 10 points um, and hits 90. Now, this doesn't mean that there aren't some children who are bright. You see that red line does continue on to the right. And we do actually see some children who are gifted. Uh, we just don't see as many of them. You notice that line's below the green one. And we see more children who are going to fit into that sort of 60 to 90 range than you would of typical children. These are children after 70 and below, they would hit that intellectual disability diagnosis. All right, but the 70 to 90, we really don't have 
um, a diagnosis for them. They don't really fit learning disability because remember they have to be average and this is below. They aren't low enough to be um, intellectually disabled. So they kind of just call these slow learners, um, but they are going to struggle um, with the things that are going to happen in school. And you are going to see, for the most part, a, a poor school performance as well. All right, when we look at assessment, we're going to see some of the different strategies here. Some of them are standard. Um, we're going to interview um, the student themselves. A lot of times this is really, really enlightening. Um, I interviewed one who was doing a lot of bad stuff in the classroom, and when I asked this kid why he did what he did, he said, the teacher doesn't like me. She picks on me. And actually, in watching it, she really did. Um, that isn't always the case. Of course, that's very rare. But in this particular case, she really was picking on him. Um, and, you know, just in defensiveness, he acted out. And he was actually not that bad in, in other environments and really didn't have a, you know, uh, an emotional or behavioral disorder he he was fine everywhere else um we interview the parents i mean if we're seeing stuff you know in the classroom setting they should be seeing stuff at home um and we interview the teachers so we try to get a wide variety you know in our viewpoint we go back and look at you know past records if there are any um to kind of see where they have in trouble beforehand sometimes you'll see this kind of tie um worked with one kid who had been a model student for several years and then this one year we started seeing all the problems found out that his mother had died that year and that was what had kind of kicked him over into these emotional um, types of problems which he was you know using as a way of acting out to deal with his emotions and so sometimes it's something like that um, we have rating scales um, very similar to the ADHD rating scales. These are four behavioral issues. Um, they're different versions, one for the teacher, one for the parents, uh, another one for students. Um, I don't really recommend that you have other students in the class rate somebody. I think that gives them a little too much power. Um, but it's really good to have the student rate him or herself to kind of see um, where they might fall. And of course, we mentioned observations. This is really key in doing this assessment. And you want to go to a lot of the different settings that the child would naturally be in. And, you know, lunchroom maybe out at the playground, uh, different classrooms if they're changing classrooms. Um, you don't really have to as a school psychologist go to a home setting or go to soccer or anywhere else, but you can. Um, and those are really useful to do if you do that as well. Um, if it's, you know, pretty serious and we think there's a neurological basis for the problem, and that does sometimes occur, um, then we need a medical eval from uh, hopefully a neurologist, and um, that would be something we would really need to do. Be careful working with families unless you have the actual authority for this. If you say you need to have a neurological exam, and they really can't afford it. You just obligated your school system to pay for it because you said you need it. Um, so you might word it as it would be really nice, you know, if we had a neurological exam because, you you know, that's something that, um, you know, the family can then consider whether they want to do that. Um, if you have the authority, I've actually ordered some neurological exams in my past. Like, we really need it and we'll pay for it. Um, but, you know, you don't want to be sure you really do need it before you're starting to say that because, again, school systems don't like to pay for stuff they don't want to pay for. 
Um, and just like we would do with any kid that we were um, diagnosing for any of our exceptionalities, we're going to do some standardized testing for IQ and how they're doing academically, reading, writing, math, things like that. Um, we almost always do a functional behavioral assessment, the, the FBA or the Applied Behavioral Analysis, ABA, with our observations, trying to see what triggers are there, those antecedents for certain behaviors and what consequences are in place right now to see if maybe some of those um, consequences can be changed in order to make the behavior change. And if we see anything else that we need, um, usually this means that we see a motor problem and we might need a physical therapist or an occupational therapist, um, some speech issues where we need a speech pathologist, but anything that we need in addition, we would do that as well.